Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. This episode is brought to you by CircleCI. CircleCI is how leading engineering teams deliver value faster by automating the software development process using continuous integration and continuous delivery. You are free to focus on what matters most, which is building value for your customers. CircleCI is everything great teams need. Support for any language that builds on Linux, configurable resources, advanced caching options, custom environments, SSH access, security through full level virtual machine isolation, interactive visual dashboard, first class Docker support, and more. Get started with their free plan, which gives you unlimited projects and 1500 bills per month. Plenty to get started with. Head to circleci.com slash changelogpodcast. Changelog Media, you're listening to the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, leaders, and innovators of open source. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief of Changelog. On today's show, Jared and I talk with Mike Lukowski about the future of RethinkDB. Mike was a co-founder of RethinkDB alongside Slava Akhmachet. We've talked with Slava in past episodes, so check the show notes for links. RethinkDB shut down a year ago officially on October 5th, 2016. And today, we're talking through all those details with Mike. The shutdown, getting purchased by the CNCF, relicensing their code, buying back their IP and source code, community and governance, and some specific features of RethinkDB that Mike and the rest of the community are excited about. So Mike, we've we've had quite a journey with RethinkDB. We've covered on episode 181 and 114 with Slava, kind of the background of Rethink as a technology, the company. And we're now at a point where, you know, we're looking back and Rethink the company had failed, uh, went defunct, and ultimately has moved to this newer community-driven project. Uh, for those who are catching up, help people understand kind of who you are in this in this role here. You've co-founded Rethink PV with Slava. What's what's your portion of the story here? Yeah, um, thanks for having me on the change log. I, I really appreciate it. I um, have spent a lot of time working on RethinkDB. So looking back, Slava and I started RethinkDB back in 2009. So almost eight years of my life. And it's been pretty incredible. Uh, Slava and I started RethinkDB as a uh, technology startup. Um, we, we were backed by Y Combinator back in summer of 2009. And uh, we... We decided to build something designed for modern hardware, for solid state drives, for multi-core CPUs. We wanted to build um, really low-level systems technology. Um, and this, and that, when we originally started the company, we were focused on building a, a storage engine for databases. And as, as time went on, we really started to uh, build not just a storage engine, but a full database. And uh, eventually we decided to open source it. When we first released it to the world, it took us almost four to five years to be able to build RethinkDB before we were ready to share it with the world and get it tested, get it out in the community. Um, we really decided to flip that switch and become an open source company. Um, my background is that, uh, you know, Slava and I both studied computer science. Um, his background is in distributed systems and, and storage technology. Uh, mine is in um, user experience and design. Uh, and so we come from very different backgrounds, but between the two of us, um, you got RethinkDB, which is 
a very capable, very powerful database. It scales linearly, um, is open source distributed, um, allows you to uh, run hundreds of thousands of real-time streams um, in parallel and be able to solve some really interesting and really complex use cases. And uh, I was really focused on making the database usable, uh, making it friendly, making it something that people could engage with. Um, when we first looked at building RethinkDB, um, oftentimes people look at system software as being uh, cold. You know, you inter interface with it through a through a terminal. You read really complex and arcane manuals. You spend a lot of time deciphering really complicated uh, query languages and APIs, trying to understand how the thing works. And it, they tend not to help you along the way. Um, but when we designed RethinkDB, we really wanted it to feel very much like a consumer product, to feel accessible to developers who are just starting out building their first application. Uh, and so spent a lot of time um, working on things like the dashboard that's in RethinkDB. Um, I spent um, a, many late nights uh, designing and, and, and building the user experience of, of the, the database, um, thinking about how people use it. I built the um, community operations for RethinkDB. We had a really amazing worldwide community that was deeply engaged in the open source experience. Um, open source manifests as being um, a software development model, uh, as a license type, um, as a community. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how to make RethinkDB really accessible um, in terms of our community as well. And a lot of the work that we did in making RethinkDB really friendly and accessible and capable um, has borne through as the company shut down. Because when we when the company actually shut down, uh, the community just came up in arms and said, we're going to keep this thing going. Whatever it takes, we're going to uh, champion the needs of RethinkDB and we're going to continue building it. Mm. Um, and so my experience has been basically um, anything that required doing, um, I, I, I worked on at Rethink. And uh, these days, um, I have taken a lot of the experiences I've spent in the open source community and I work on uh, developer relations at Stripe. So I help run developer relations for um, Stripe, which builds developer tools uh, for um, commerce and for finance. Right. It, you're at Stripe now. Is it because of the transition of engineers and whatnot that was, I, I guess at that time, transitioned to Stripe, Stripe stepped up and said, hey, we'll hire. Is that why you're there or are you there for other reasons? Is that what got you there, I guess, is what I'm asking you. <laughs> Yeah, so our, our team is pretty incredible. Uh, we, we have like a really incredible team of engineers who, who built RethinkDB. And uh, when the company shut down, uh, we had lots of options of where we could try to take our team to be able to feel like we could continue working together, uh, continue building things together. Um, and Stripe was by far and away one of the most exciting options available to us. Uh, and uh, I personally am really excited and dedicated to what Stripe is working on because um, having worked on developer tools for a long time, uh, there's immense power in allowing creators and builders to um, be able to use technology to be able to solve problems that previously required teams of people to solve. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, Stripe is really building an abstraction for the world of commerce, for the world of business, uh, to be able to allow people to um, redefine how they build companies, to be able to redefine how they build um, payments infrastructure uh, around APIs and around developer experience. And the whole RethinkDB team has spent a lot of time thinking about how to abstract away the world. You know, software um, represents abstractions about the real world. Um, and we've spent a lot of time thinking about how to help developers um, represent the real world and to be able to use those abstractions to build really powerful things. And so Stripe was a really natural fit. When you look at the developer tools companies out there, um, there are 
a few of them, um, but Stripe is far and away one of the most exciting companies out there for developer tools. Yeah. Um, so it's been a really comfortable home for the ReefingDB team. Gotcha. So to paint some of the picture too for a timeline, so you said that Rethink began in 2009. That's roughly around when we started the change law too, by the way. So that's kind of crazy. But in terms of like overlapping there, uh, operated as a company for several years, took VC uh, out of Y Combinator, kind of glossing over some of the details. But then in 2016 uh, was the Rethink DB shutdown post kind of describing some of the things you just mentioned here uh, and Slavi even penned his own uh, why Rethink DB failed and kind of pulled out some thoughts on developer tools and how he had some speculation on the, uh, the market and whatnot and shared some hindsight notes about uh, they, you know, how you chose a terrible market and optimized a product for the wrong <laughs> metrics. So there's some, you know, some downsides there, so to speak, but that's roughly the story there. And now we're transitioning from a failed company uh, to put that, you know, loosely, I don't want to say like y'all messed up, but just, you know, easily said failed company, transitioning into a community-driven open-source project. It's always been open-source, but now it's community-driven. So help right. us kind of paint the picture from from where you feel as a company to CNCF stepping in, even uh, a lot of the details there around getting the code back and being able to use that. Help us fill in the gaps on those details. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting to look at um, open-source uh, development, uh, the comparison that I always really appreciate is the bazaar in the cathedral, which people are probably familiar with, but I'll repeat for those who aren't, that you know, open-source is the bazaar. It's messy, it's loud, it's complicated, there's lots of things happening. It's hard to keep track of, of what's going on. Um, and in, in contrast, uh, the cathedral is closed-source. It's very polished software development that comes out with um, very precise, very clear um, products that are shipped and uh, you don't have a lot of interaction uh, between people who are using it, it's, it's very prescribed. Um, and what's interesting about when you build open source as a company is that you can kind of strike this happy medium between the two, where essentially you have the resources of, of what you would call the cathedral model, and yet you're able to still work with the bazaar and to open and invite people to be able to contribute, collaborate, and work on the project with you. Um, so RethinkDB has like hundreds of thousands of users around the world who, who, who use the, the project. and um, Throughout the company's history, people regularly were contributing major features to it. Um, we, we would uh, have pull requests that would come in. We had an open development model on GitHub. We did everything out in the open. It was no private trackers, no private communications that were um, significant. Everything we did was in the public, in the open on GitHub. And so the community would come in and work with us and be able to um, build features together, close a product feedback loop, be able to uh, help us ship things more quickly because we understood what their needs were. And when the company shut down, the intellectual property was in a state where it was held by a third party. Uh, because when companies shut down, typically investors will hold on to um, certain um, assets of the company. And so we found ourselves in this position where the open source license um, was a GPL. So people could continue using the project um, and feel comfortable using it. Um, but we were unable to change the license um, or, or make any significant changes because the intellectual property was in the hands of a third party. Um, so the first thing that happened is that um, people said, we're not going to let this die. Um, it really doesn't matter what you guys do because it's open source. So we're going to keep going with this. But if we are able to retain control of the assets, we can um, make some changes we want to make. So for example, uh, when the Linux Foundation ultimately ended up um, and the CNCF ended up acquiring the assets of, of RethinkDB, they changed the license to the Apache software license, 
which um, some people consider to be more permissive because it places less restrictions on how you use the software. Um, that was one change that they really desired, and I understand why. Um, they also um, acquired a lot of the closed source assets of the company. Um, we had a version of the database called RethinkDB Enterprise, which had only a small handful of features, things that were useful to very large organizations like audit logging, audit trails, things like that. Um, and uh, we're, we're working on sharing those more broadly with the community and uh, actually getting it into the open source version. So essentially, people stepped up and said, we're not going to let this go away. So um, I agreed with them. Um, I didn't want uh, RethinkDB to um, stay in uh, limbo. And so I worked very closely with uh, the open source leadership team, which was comprised of former RethinkDB team members, including myself, and a number of folks from the open source community who really had made this a part of their lives. They had worked with us for years. Um, we had very close connections and relationships in that community, and um, they were our friends, and they, we all shared the same passion to be able to keep the project going. Um, and after a few months, we decided to um, be as public as we could about the process, and we held regular meetings. Uh, we have a Slack channel where we had over 1,000, 1,500 people who all joined to try to figure out how to move forward with the project. Um, after a few months, we were approached by um, the CNCF um, with uh, uh, Dan Cohn, and Brian Cantrell, who, who uh, suggested that they would be interested in acquiring the IP and assets of the software project. Uh, and so we worked with them to um, close a deal where we were able to move over the control of the assets and be able to relicense the project. Um, so we, yesterday, we actually just shipped the first release for the open source project under the hands of the community, um, which is 2.3.6, which sums up a series of stability fixes, bug fixes, and improvements. Um, and it's also the first official release that um, has, has been fully under the Apache software license. And we're steadily working on uh, releasing more of uh, the things that we've built, um, including some of the closed source features that we had built um, in the past eight years. And um, other things like we had a full-time resident artist illustrator who was creating art around the open source project. This is something that I really cared about because to me, um, software is a vehicle for ideas. Um, but art is also a vehicle for ideas. It helps you express the way you reason about the world, the way you think about the world. And so mm -hmm. in building a community project, we had a lot of art that we created around it, um, which really helps people understand the ideas that we're communicating. And so uh, all that art we're working on also open sourcing um, a lot of the projects that we had internally for build testing, performance testing, load testing. They're all getting steadily open sourced. And so the challenge and the opportunity for the project is to figure out how to move to this community-based model. You guys have great artwork, absolutely. So hats yeah. off in that, in that uh, direction. Take us into the nitty-gritty a little bit and help us understand from the outside the, the legal ramifications of what you said back there with the AGPL and acquiring the assets. So if I understand you correctly, because it's AGPL, you, the community could have forked it because it was open source and open license enough that they could fork it, rename it, and continue on. But there was things that, there were drawbacks to that, uh, such as you said, the artwork assets, other things, the name, of course, other aspects of the intellectual property that because the open source project was operated by a company that had creditors, uh, people who had invested into the company, they had ownership of the intellectual property. Am I am I following this correctly? 
Yeah. So, I mean, Rethink2B started as a closed source company back in, back mm-hmm. in the day. And so the, the terms under which we uh, were working with investors were very different than our needs when, you know, four or five years into the company when we really open sourced everything. And so the way that like uh, license and copyright work, they're, they're very different. So the license is the terms under which you can use the project. So right. when it's AGPL, um, that means that someone could very well fork it, rename it, do whatever they like. Um, in fact, uh, lots of people have forked RethinkDB, um, and uh, that's encouraged. Uh, that's that's the goal of copyleft software is to it, every time a fork happens, um, the terms of the HGPL will continue to stick to those forks. Um, and uh, while that's uh, something that was perfectly workable for users, um, a lot of developers um, wanted to work on it, but they weren't necessarily comfortable with the AGPL. Um, I have a neutral opinion on the AGPL. I, I see both its pros and cons. Um, but the will of the community was very strong that they, a lot of folks um, were committed to working on it, especially if it was under the Apache software license. Um, because a third party owned the actual copyright to the code, mm-hmm. um, we were unable to change the license. And it's not even about whether it's a change from AGPL to Apache software license or anything like that. It's about thinking what happens in 10 years or 15 years when um, a new license type emerges and we decide that we may want to shift the license um, for whatever reason um, or give ourselves any sort of forward flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so being able to actually retain um, the the name, the common law trademark usage of RethinkDB and not having to rename it, being able to keep um, our website, being able to keep our documentation being able to keep um, domain names, uh, all the collaboration and communication tools, the GitHub organization, the repository of issues that we had built up for thousands of issues that were recorded, um, all, all of those details. Uh, it's it's best for the forward velocity of the community project if like the Linux Foundation and CNCF have that. And so when the LF acquired the IP and assets of the software project, um, it really made a lot of problems go away. Otherwise, you'd have to start at ground zero again, right? Like you'd have to go yeah. back to, I mean, you you would have the code to fork, but you'd have to, you know, a lot of stuff you'd have to leave behind, and you'd a have lot to rethink of, everything. Ooh, re re <laughs> rethink DBs. That's re-rethink. right. Uh, tell us about the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, the CNCF, as you mentioned, um, which is associated with the Linux Foundation or is the Linux Foundation. Help us understand who that is and you know how they can swoop in and you know buy the assets and tell us about that yeah so the cncf is is very interesting um it's uh part of the linux foundation the linux foundation has a number of foundations under its um aegis and umbrella um and what they really focus on are technologies that are designed for um the the cloud-based environments that we're using today so that's why they're called the cloud native computing foundation um examples of projects that they work on are things like kubernetes which you guys may be familiar with um, which to me is one of the most exciting, or if not the most exciting infrastructure change or, or project that's that's popped up in the past 10 years. Um, and a lot of the projects that they, they work on are, are designed to help build the infrastructure necessary for um, the next 10 years of what we're going to need for cloud computing. And so Brian Cantrell, uh, who has been a longtime member of our community, um, we've, we've collaborated with him on several projects, uh, and he's been a, a joy to work with. Um, so he he approached us and said that um, the CNCF would be willing to uh, to, to work on, on on acquiring these assets. And uh, between them and the LF, we've been able to make this change very very quickly. So they had a lot of uh, enthusiasm and energy for completing the transaction and for for helping establish the future of 
the project. Right now, we are part of the Linux Foundation, um, but we are hoping to establish governance soon, um, community governance, to be able to decide whether we want to join the CNCF or remain as part of the Linux Foundation. I see. And the, the CNCF has certain structure has certain structure to it, certain ways they want projects to be run. So that's really something, it's a decision that needs to be made as a community together. So the CNCF slash Brian Cantrell found motivation to approach you to say, hey, let's help you acquire your assets, which requires dropping a check basically and taking care of creditors to get that IP back and to be able to, you know, to do all the things you just said there. Where do you think that motivation came from? Where, why is RethinkDB so important uh, to the community, but also to those individuals involved and organizations involved to drop some money down to, uh, to acquire the IP back and have full control of it? So I can't speak for why lots of other people find RethinkDB to be so important. I can say why I think RethinkDB is important. Um, <laughs> and I, I think I think it's because RethinkDB is one of these system software projects that uh, is entirely built from scratch. It's it's it, it's C++ and assembly all the way down up to JavaScript. Um, it is as complete a software undertaking an endeavor as as you can imagine. Um, there's eight years of work in it with a team of um, up to 17 people working on RethinkDB. And that's a lot of man hours. That's a lot of like things that were built, a lot of really low level, interesting software technology. And we also uh, were at the forefront of a lot of changes that happened in infrastructure software. So, you know, being able to add real-time streams to databases, um, thankfully that idea has really started to pop up in the other parts of the community. Um, people are starting to move to the idea of uh, real-time subscriptions and thinking about how databases can, can be shaped differently. Um, there's the query language, which is really incredible because the way the software is built, it essentially is a giant distributed computing environment that allows you to run uh, functions that operate in parallel um, in a distributed cluster. And like all of that is really, really, really neat technology. Um, so to look at that and to, to consider that for a marginal cost, you can buy back the ability to, be, to direct the future of the project. I think that the CNCF and the Linux Foundation really felt like it was the most reasonable of investments. And in terms of why it's exciting, I think it's because um, for a long time, RethinkDB has been thinking about um, where databases should go, um, what the future of databases should look like. And being able to continue exploring those ideas as a community seems just deeply powerful and deeply useful uh, to continue as an entity. Um, and it's really exciting because even in the next version of RethinkDB that we have planned, um, it already unlocks so many more ways that RethinkDB can be used uh, for, to solve all sorts of different types of problems. And that'll be RethinkDB 2.4, which is being worked on right now. Coming up at this point in the story for Rethink, the company has shut down, creditors are holding the IP and source code, and meanwhile, the community just wants things to carry on. They want the software to carry on. We cover what the actual value of the IP and source code is worth, what they end up spending to buy it back from their creditors, and we also talk through the new governance model and how they can move forward as a community-led project. Stay tuned.
This episode is brought to you by Bugsnag. Bugsnag is mission control for software quality. And on this segment, I'm talking with James Smith, co-founder and CEO of Bugsnag, about the core problem they're solving for software teams and why you should head to bugsnag.com slash changelog to test it out with your team. Let's start with, um, you mentioned you and Simon. So you, you guys obviously at one point didn't have this company, right? So as founders, as engineers, you got to a problem. What was that problem and why does Bugsnag exist? Uh, Simon and I, my co-founder, I met in college. We went off to build software for other companies. I ended up in a startup. He ended up in enterprise software. And we had the same problem in both of these companies. When things break, it's really hard to figure out how badly they're broken, who's impacted, and what to fix first. So we both had this problem ourselves. So we decided, hey, why is no one doing a good job of fixing this problem right now? So very much Bugsnag was born out of uh, scratching our own itch, as they say. One thing that we find all the time is that there's this tension in software teams or in product companies where you want to deliver new features to your customers or you want to build cool new stuff. But at the same time, you've got to fix bugs because no matter how good a coder you are, you're going to introduce bugs. But there's no clear definition of where to set that slider. Should I... Uh, be fixing bugs now or should I be releasing features? And so this tension exists, I think, in all product teams, all software teams. If you don't have a tool like Bugsnag, it's very difficult for you to figure out where to spend time. And so that's the idea here is we're trying to help teams understand whether they should be building or fixing because there's a bit of a delicate balance between both. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So if your team is unsure of how to spend their time building or fixing Give Bugsnag a try. It's free to get started with a 45-day extended trial exclusive to our listeners at the bugsnag.com slash changelog. So... The company shut down, Rethink shut down October-ish 2016. Creditors held the source code and clearly based on the story you've shared with us, Mike, the community and everyone else wanted things to move forward. And for the reasons you mentioned before of like not wanting to restart over or fork the code and think of a new name or, you know, you wanted to reuse this past seven-ish years of work to move forward. But that required someone to come in or basically to buy the assets back from the creditors. Uh, that's, you know, VC, that's whomever held the IP when the company went defunct. Can you share roughly what that figure might have been? I'm sure the community's thinking like, geez, this must be worth a lot of money or whatever. Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so uh, Brian approached us and was super excited to try to help uh, figure out how to take next steps for the project. Um, I think he really personally cared about um, rethink to be his mission and figuring out um, what it would take to to unstick it. And uh, thankfully, the the number was not that um, high. I think largely because the folks involved who held the IP um, really recognized that the people who were most interested in the future of rethink to be that really were dedicated to it were were the community. Um, they were the ones that were really asking for this shift to happen. And so we were able to negotiate a very reasonable number, um, which was twenty thousand dollars. And uh, that I think that is a testament to the fact that the community was very vocal about its needs 
and that it was clear it wasn't a corporation that was acquiring the assets, that it was something for the community's benefit. Mm. Um, and uh, they made it really easy to amicably make the transition. And thankfully, the Linux Foundation and CNCF stepped forward to be able to facilitate that. Yeah. Um, and they've given us a lot of the resources we need to be able to continue, like um, the infrastructure that you generally need to be able to do things like accept donations for um, for future software development of the project um, or be able to help us with uh, like hosting of domains and things like that and be able to really give us the legs we need to stand on as a community-based software project going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, just, I guess, mad respect to the negotiators and as well as to the creditors for negotiating that price because that's uh, an excellent price for what everybody, what the world got out of it, which is a free and clear RethinkDB that can be handed over to the community. Tell us what the community looks like because, you know, everybody's got one, but they all are different. And um, I guess with RethinkDB, it's probably even a little bit uh, tough to make that actual transition because it was, you know, a product from a product team inside of a company for so long, even though y'all were developing it open source style. Like you said, it was a middle ground between the cathedral and the bazaar. So now you're, you're going full bazaar and uh, <laughs> you got to figure out what, what your bazaar is going to be shaped like. So what does it mean when you say community governance for Rethink TV? That's an excellent question. Um, we were lucky to have a lot of people care about the project, um, as I mentioned. Um, it's funny because uh, people used to say that after checking Twitter and Reddit, they would go to GitHub and they would just catch up on all the emails that were being sent between our developers to just sort of just sit and and uh, observe how the project was unfolding. So on GitHub, we have like north of 19,000 stars, um, a few thousand people, I think, who watch the project. And when you watch a project, it essentially means that every email that gets sent out gets shared with, with every single person who's watching it. And it's funny because uh, we kind of had this like silent audience that was observing everything we were doing and uh, watching everything unfold, just eating popcorn and, <laughs> and watching as it, as it, as it progressed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so now those voices started to make themselves heard. Um, and uh, in the open Rethink TV channel on Slack, as I mentioned, we had like thousand plus people all uh, advocating for the future of the project. And while it was in limbo and we we're trying to work things out, um, people were debating, should we try to fork it? Should we try to organize development somehow? Um, should we try to uh, build a software development fund? And I think that uh, the nice thing about being under the aegis of the Linux Foundation um, is that it allows us to have like a very safe home from a legal perspective, from a structural perspective. Um, but what we really are trying to figure out now is how to decide what decisions we're going to make for the uh, future of RethinkDB in terms of its technology. And so the most important thing that we're going to be building is a um, technology steering committee to be able to decide like what features are going to go into the next version. Um, what is uh, something that should go into the API and shouldn't go into the API? Um, a lot of these uh, decisions only happen through lots of conversation, um, lots of structure, lots of lots of discussion. Um, and at RethinkDB, we we spend a lot of time. You could even just go if you look at the issues for RethinkDB. Um, take a look at, for example, the dates and times issue where we added date support to RethinkDB. And dates are like notoriously complicated because um, everyone disagrees on um, on what calendar you're using. Um, especially if you go back through history, um, calendars changed based upon like political rule or based upon uh, particular. Uh, standards that would emerge. If you look at time zones, there's even time zones that are half an hour off, 45 minutes off. So these things get very complicated. And how you represent it in a database 
very important because you're going to do a lot of queries based upon dates and times. And if you just go to that thread and just observe the hundreds of comments that unfolded, just trying to figure out every single angle, every single nook and cranny of how this should be added to the database, um, that kind of agitating force is what's really powerful about open source. A lot of uh, voices come to the conversation. They are able to agree on what the best thing to do is only through letting the ideas do violent conflict sometimes before you emerge with the best result. And so building a, a group, like a committee that will be able to think about these things and do so on a regular fashion um, is really important to the open source feature. Um, aside from that, we're looking for um, folks who will be able to take over, uh, for example, different language communities. So we have drivers that exist for um, mm -hmm. for Java, Python, Ruby, JavaScript, um, a lot of other languages. And we want people to be able to help make the experience of Rethink to be better in each of those language communities. I'm here on the on the issue tracker and I'm trying to find that issue, but there is 1400 ish issues. That's quite a bit. It is, is that potentially because of this cycle we've been in since last October to get to where we're at now? Is that why there's so many issues or is what's the state of issues? Just, just curious. So issues are a funny thing on GitHub because people think about uh, issues differently for each project. Right. Like a to-do list or something like that. Should it be clear, yeah. basically? Yeah. And so basically, every time that we have had an idea on what to do with the database, um, we would just create an issue for it. And then it would allow the conversation to unfold for some, some crazy speculative idea that wouldn't see the light for even sometimes two or three years. Um, and so if you look at a lot of the open issues, um, not all of them are, are bugs. Uh, a lot of them are like, I can't build in this particular environment. Um, or I'm having difficulties with mm -hmm. like this particular workload. Um, and uh, aside from that, many of them are speculative. Like, we should build some, some new feature. Um, and if you look at the number closed, which is 4,500, it dwarfs it by, by uh, significantly. Um, but if you just search, for example, um, for dates and times, you'll notice, which should be, I think it should just be just if you search for dates, it should pop up. Um, then you should you should be able to see just these proposals that are titled, for example, Requel Proposal. And in a proposal, we basically start exploring a new idea to be added to the query language. And we um, it's tagged with a particular tag. And then we just let the discussion roll for a long time until all the ideas are exercised. And uh, that's why there's so many issues on RethinkDB. It's sometimes gotcha. people look at it and they wonder, like, is there a problem with the database? And the reality is that um, that's just how we approach or stagnation. So. Yeah. I mean, when you get those numbers, you kind of think like, is it being managed? Is somebody triaging these things? You know, it, yeah. it's almost as if you have to have the precursor of like, this is how we do issues on GitHub kind of thing. Like you just said there, basically, because mm -hmm. uh, otherwise you come to it and you're thinking like, is it, you know, is somebody triaging these issues? Does it, you know, is it being, is it really being tracked? That kind of thing. Yeah, and that's a lot of the work that um, folks on the leadership team are doing today is working through those issues, replying and triaging. And obviously, we would appreciate a lot of help from more folks in the community and mm -hmm. helping keep track yeah. of all these issues. E yeah. Easy call out there. So you'd mentioned some things around governance, TC. It sounds a lot like you're going through with RethinkDB what Node went through roughly a year ago, year and a half ago, when there was a major fork where, in the case of RethinkDB, had the acquisition of the IP not happened. There could have been, you know, an, an IOJS slash Node.js kind of scenario. I'm assuming here, but who who are you leaning on in terms of, or what communities have you led uh, leaned on to get 
the insights you're getting to go the, the way forward that you're going? We're getting a lot of advice from folks at the CNCF and the Linux Foundation. We also have some folks who have been involved in a number of other projects like Chris Abrams and Ross Kokolinsky who have seen things happen in the node world and um, have a lot of uh, deep connections in the open source community. And so we're not looking to innovate as much as take the minimum viable organization that we need to be able to ship new releases on a regular basis and really feel comfortable um, for the next bit. Um, it, unlike Node, it's not terribly contentious. It's more collaborative. Um, sometimes that so many people use Node.js and so many people cared about the future of of it that that split between I/O and Node happened because people were dissatisfied with um, a lot of how things were unfolding. And in the case of RethinkDB, it's a lot more collaborative. Folks are just trying to mm-hmm. understand the best way that we can all build this together going forward, rather than arguing over its future. Mm. Just going back, thinking about Adam said the word stagnation, and when I think about the, you know, the the cathedral and the bazaar um, metaphor, and the one thing about the cathedral is you don't have to ask for anybody's opinion. You just you just push forward the way that you think is best inside of the product team. And with the bazaar, like you said, things have to come out of you know violent arguments or sometimes violent agreement, whatever it is. Like ideas have to prove themselves first, and so there's a lot more conversation happening. And sometimes that can result in a lot less agreements, right? Like if, if all you have is disagreements, then you're not exactly going anywhere. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are around that. And the reason why I ask is because, and I'm not going to, I'm not trying to hold you to the fire or anything because we're <laughs> software people. We know, we know about, you know, ship dates and stuff, but in the Linux foundation post back in February, it said that rethink DB 2.4 was coming a few days later. And as you said earlier, two, three, six, just shipped July 17th. So there was something that happened there. And I'm wondering if the transition may have caused some stagnation or if there's actually potentially a problem of, of disagreements and generally slower moving product because of the community governance. So I agree with you. It's definitely slower moving than I personally would like. Um, one of the things that RethinkDB really pioneered um, in its development model is just rapidly shipping releases. So we had a goal of shipping a new version of the database every six to eight weeks. And each time it had major features like secondary indexes or adding a distributed um, cluster using Raft. Um, And each of these releases uh, was the product of extremely careful scheduling um, and trying to figure out how to keep the pulse of the database moving quickly because it is the cathedral. Um, I personally think that a slower pace is a healthy thing for a database. Mm. Um, it's RethinkDB is only, it's only um, really been production ready for three or four years now. Um, and you look at something like Postgres or even MongoDB, and um, it takes a long time to let databases really bake. And once they're built, they, they don't really need to have, like you could argue that dramatic shifts for a database is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, um, because people are relying on it. It's like the most core part of their infrastructure, which is very different from something like Node, where you're building for a community where the web is moving so quickly. People have framework fatigue. New features are being released. Async await. Like people desire it yesterday, and so there's a lot of pressure and a lot of loud voices. Um, in in the case of databases, I would argue that moving to a community process is it's probably healthy to slow down the pace of software releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, stagnation is very different. Um, that means that you just stop work, right? One right. of the biggest problems that we faced when we wanted to ship a new release for RethinkDB was that we did not have our test and build infrastructure that we had built. We had um, at RethinkDB when we were a company, 
racks of servers with um, some with like, uh, you know, 32 cores on each machine, just working on producing builds for the database, working on testing um, every night, automated testing infrastructure. All of these things are really, really useful to have. And uh, when you are going to rebuild as a community project, you need to rebuild all of them because um, the servers just don't physically exist anymore. And so uh, a lot of the uh, effort that went into shipping 2.3.6 was letting all of the work that we needed to just catch up and then decide, okay, now we can ship our first community release for everything DB. And so it's really monumental in the amount of effort that's gone on behind the scenes. And just to call out some people who really, really put a lot of work into this, um, I would definitely name Marshall Cottrell, who's uh, been a longtime member of the um, of the project, um, and Etienne Loren, who uh, was a core member of the RethinkDB team, has just tirelessly continued to work on it, um, along with like Sam Hughes and Ryan Paul. Um, these folks have just put a lot of effort into steadily, quietly working on tidying up all the issues that go into shipping a new release to multiple platforms um, for uh, distributions. 2.3.6 also included packages for um, new releases of Ubuntu for Yakety and Zesty. Um, and unifying and, and just making sure that all of the bug fixes and stability improvements went into it. We also shipped multiple release candidates to give the community time to be able to try to air it out because we are leaning more heavily on them for the build and test aspects of this. And as time mm -hmm. goes on, we're, we, we plan to speed this up because we're gonna have a lot of the community processes down. Um, but I think that moving wisely and steadily is better than moving quickly when it comes to system software. Yeah, that's a great answer. And on the other side of my question about stagnation was another question about instability and perhaps not technical instability, but as the case has been over the last year with RethinkDB, at least since October 2016, when the shutdown was announced, it was uncertainty of like what's going to happen with this thing that we love or rely upon. And the last thing you want in terms of instability or uncertainty is with your data store, right? So, <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, but the, the silence as the, the transaction was happening, the negotiation that was happening between October and February had probably a lot of people wondering what was going to happen. Um, but since the joining of the Linux Foundation and this, this transition and a move into the community governance, a, a bit of a return to normalcy, you know, and maybe that normalcy is a little bit slower than it was previously, but at a healthy pace is probably providing a lot of uh, certainty and, and answers for people who are either running RethinkDB in production or considering picking it up for their next project. Yeah, I, I had a lot of uh, folks in the community um, ask me, um, should I be worried when the company shut down? And quite honestly, I mean, my answer has always been very clear that there is not a commercial entity that is behind the project. And if that affects your choice as to whether to use the, the, the database, you should factor that into your consideration. But you should also weigh it against the fact that it's been worked on for eight years by an extremely competent and really deeply technical team. Um, and it's been vetted and tested in some of the most rigorous and difficult benchmarks in the industry. Uh, the distributed systems test that was uh, performed by AFER um, to test the new Raft implementation for our distributed clusters passed with flying colors after our team worked on it for a year. And you know this is not something that goes away when the company goes away. Um, mm -hmm. The other side of it is that there are a lot of teams that are still building for it. So as an example, there's some teams at IBM that are doing a lot of work on RethinkDB, um, despite the company background that's irrelevant to their projects. Um, for example, porting it to PPC or, um, or Z and 
those those teams are just working on it in the assumption that it's a solid database. It's um, it continues to power a lot of infrastructure on the web, and um, there are really no extraordinary problems people have been encountering. Up next, we get into some specific features of RethinkDB that Mike and the rest of the community are pretty excited about. We talk through the power of RethinkDB's query language, Requel, and the idea of modifier functions, which let you embed Requel natively into your programming language for the database to execute on every write operation, and also how they differ from stored procedures. And finally, we talk about the future of RethinkDB, the role of CNCF in that future, and how you can get involved. So, stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. Everything we do here at Changelog is hosted on Linode servers. Pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location, and in seconds, deploy your virtual server. Drawworthy hardware, SSD cloud storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, nine data centers, three regions, anywhere in the world they've got you covered. Head to linode.com slash changelog and get $20 in hosting credit. Mike, you've taken us through a little bit of the history of RethinkDB. You've taken us through the transition from uh, RethinkDB, the company running RethinkDB, the project, to uh, the community-led governance for RethinkDB. We haven't talked much technical about the database itself, except for its merits and why so many people uh, have come to use and rely upon it. But uh, we want to look into the future a little bit uh, and see where it's headed now that it has this complete freedom uh, from IP constraints and this, this community-led governance. What are some technical aspects of the software that are coming down the pipeline, things that maybe you're interested or excited about? One of the things that I'm most excited about um, is a new feature that we have had in the works. It's mostly implemented at this point um, that will improve the query language by adding what we call modifier functions. So. Basically, for those who aren't familiar, um, one of the biggest strengths of RethinkDB is that it has this query language that in most databases, when you write a query, you normally will write it in something like SQL or in the case of MongoDB, some custom JSON, and you will compose it using um, some of their syntax and then send this query to the database and return a response. And in RethinkDB, our query language, which we call Requel, um, allows you to basically write uh, functional programming calls that embeds natively into your programming language. So as an example, r.table.filter.map.reduce. And each of those, what we call terms, like filter, map, and reduce, are just functions. And each function can accept things inside of it. Um, you can do uh, uh, embedded functions. And what this essentially feels like is a functional programming language huh. that's baked into the database and is 
um, also embedded into your native programming language, which is really useful because you can do things like use your debugging tools and it doesn't feel like you're switching context. And at the end of these queries, you just send off the whole um, uh, command string, uh, command stream to the uh, database, and then it will run in a distributed environment and return the computation back to you. And this just looks very simple on the face of it. Like you're just writing inserts and gets and you're doing um, very fluent uh, commands to be able to manipulate the data um, on any of those queries or on many of those queries. So you can then open a stream by just adding changes at the end. So the query language is really innovative. Um, it feels really comfortable. People say that it takes a little bit of time to really grok it, to really feel like they understand that it's these functions are running in this environment within the cluster. But once they do, they get addicted to it and they just want to use it all the time everywhere. Um, and I, it, hmm. I genuinely think it's like one of the best parts of the database. Like it's one of the things that we're proudest of is um, a bunch of programming language design geeks got together and basically built this really beautiful functional program language that allows you to operate on data in this distributed computation environment. And that's like really exciting. Um, but one of the things that we got as a consequence of building a really well-designed query language is that every time we added a feature to the database, we were able to reuse it um, in lots of different ways. Um, every single thing that we added uh, enhanced the rest of the database. So modifier functions um, are like this because uh, they basically, it's a function that is applied to each write. So every time that you perform a write on the database, you can then use a modifier function to do something. And what this allows you to do is essentially add things like schema validation. So every time you perform a write, you can check if it matches a schema. To be able to rewrite documents or to add additional fields whenever you write something to the database. Um, to be able to do document expiration, so you can say if this document is older than a certain date or time, then it should be deleted. Um, and to do things like security rules. For example, you can imagine adding a modifier function that would say only inserts are allowed to run. Otherwise, um, any other type of write will be discarded. Um, and so basically, th this is the building block that will allow us to add things that people have been asking for for a very long time, like document expiration and schema validation. And we expect that, like any good piece of technology, um, people will use it and reuse it in ways we don't expect, and will discover all sorts of things that they're pushing the query language to do that it just wasn't capable of doing before. And when that happens, we can try to build porcelain commands that will very simply allow these features to be exposed and they'll be implemented in terms of these modifier functions. So we're giving this toolkit out to the community to see what they're gonna play with and what they can come up with to solve use cases that maybe we hadn't realized RethinkDB was capable of helping with. Hmm. So where are you authoring these functions or these modifiers? Is it inside of this uh, this tool that you built, the web, the web interface, or is it, uh, how do you actually go about adding those to your RethinkDB database? So basically, you um, you do it through the query language itself. So you can um, okay. specify the modifier modifier function will live on a table. Um, we may eventually expose that in the web interface as well. Um, if you look at um, a corollary, might be the statistics um, that we built into the database. So we added a system table, which is essentially a table that tracks lots of details around the cluster and around the database, and it's exposed just as a table in RethinkDB. Um, and that's really powerful because you could then query that table using the query language. Right. You can open a real-time stream on any aspect of that table. Or so you can say, for example, watch for whenever um, a certain threshold gets hit and then like uh, add more replicas within the cluster um, to react to that change. And that's all can, can be done with the RethinkDB's query language. And we also exposed it within the web interface um, and it's just implemented in terms of RethinkDB queries. So that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of see what I mean by building a building block and then reusing it in lots of different ways. 
So by allowing modifier functions to be declared on tables, you can see how people can then use that to build on top of it um, things within the web UI, command line tools, and um, right. other RethinkDB commands. So I'm coming from a you know kind of an old school RDBMS angle. So to me, this sounds like stored procedures. How is this different than what I'm thinking these functions are? So stored procedures are close um, because stored procedures are run on whenever a command will happen, um, and the procedure right. is stored on the, on the database. This is just RethinkDB's version of that. Um, and it's expressed okay. in terms of modifier functions because we are a functional programming environment. Um, but it's very right. similar. Uh, you can do a lot of the things that you want to do with store procedures with these modifier functions. So the age-old question is like, how much logic do you put into the database and how much do you keep inside of your application code? Um, which I'm not, I'm not asking you to answer that necessarily because I think that's uh, you know fit for the case-by-case -case scenario or even developer by developer perhaps. Um, but it sounds like with the way that RethinkDB's query language works, um, you could be writing these modifier functions, but it almost feels like your application code. Is that what you're trying to say? Because of the style of it and the, and the, the fluency of the requel? Yeah, absolutely. So take expiration as an example. If you wanted to be able to expire documents today within um, RethinkDB, what you can do is very simply open a change feed and um, subscribe to all documents that are older than a certain date or time, and then delete it whenever they pop up, whenever a new change appears within the um, table. And uh, mm. that is done across the database application barrier. So you have to have some sort of application process, watching the database, subscribe to that stream, and then just periodically deleting it. And that's how a lot of people implement expiration today. It's totally reasonable. Yeah. It works very well. But there is some efficiency to be gained by doing that in the database because it has more knowledge about what's happening and you don't have to build as much infrastructure outside of it. I'm not arguing yeah. that you should always do things within the database. Um, every sure. use case is different. It's about how much baggage you're willing to pick up and how much work you're willing to do. It's about trade-offs, yeah. right? Obvious. Exactly. The pragmatic programmer right. likes trade-offs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we're all pragmatic, aren't we? Um, <laughs> cool. So when's the, yeah, exactly. When are, when's the modifier functions, is that something that people can expect, you know, soon or because uh, as a building block you kind of want those out there asap so that people can start doing things you never thought of yeah they're they're available in a branch on uh, github i think there's still a little bit of work that's left to do on it but there is an issue that's tracking them right now and if folks are interested in learning more about it they're welcome to join our slack channel and just ask in um, hash open reading db and be happy to direct them to it if they want to test that feature and in terms of diving into the background details, too, you mentioned, too, that a lot of things propagate through issues. And there's an issue for this. We'll link in the show notes. Got, you know, the the specification for it, the introduction to this uh, proposed feature and then 23 comments. So kind of going back and forth. And this is a closed issue. So it's it's something that uh, I guess people can kind of come to and say, let's learn the history of this feature, basically. That's right. Cool. Anything else, Mike, that you're uh, interested in that's in development coming soon? Um, there's a number of ports that people are working on. So I mentioned that people at IBM are working on uh, porting to PPC um, and a couple other environments. And there's also a very ex uh, excited group of users who are working on porting to ARM64 because they want to be able to run on things like you know, ARM environments like Raspberry Pi and things like that. Um, which is really awesome to see. People mm -hmm. are really uh, diving into figuring out how to bring RethinkDB to their environment, um, which at this point, it's a pretty mature and stable project. And so that's like the question is, how do I get to use it more often than what can't it do? 
Um, the other thing is really just open sourcing a lot of the, the features that were baked into RethinkDB Enterprise and other things that were in development but not finished up. And one example of this is like audit logging is an example, being able to tell, tell being able to tell all of the queries that were run in the system is something that a lot of people have asked for and we're excited to be able to just drop it into the next release. So as we look to the future of the project, uh, one thing that we always have to think about with the future of anything is how is it going to get to the future? So we talk about sustainability. You mentioned earlier under the umbrella of the Linux Foundation, you, they helped you guys get set up to take donations and have some infrastructure around that. Tell us about that and how people and who is helping to financially or with developer hours or however help support the future of everything to be. So right now, the Linux Foundation has enabled us to accept donations and um, folks have really stepped up. We've, we've had a number of people um, contribute to the project to be able to help maintain servers, um, keep, keep the downloads uh, available for, for the public, and hopefully in the future establish uh, a way to uh, maybe even hire developers to work on certain features for the project. Uh, we've explored ideas like open source bounty systems um, and other other ways of organizing through tools like Patreon. Uh, luckily, Stripe has been very generous and is matching up to $25,000 in donations from users. Um, they've already um, helped us with the, the first um, set of donations that we've received. And uh, every, every bit obviously helps, um, but the thing that matters more than financial support is strong C++ engineers who really want to participate in what is a mature, powerful database. It's one of the largest projects on GitHub right now. And um, it's a really deep, intricate, and people generally say very tidy and well-designed code base. Um, and there are some really awesome features we want to build, especially around the real-time uh, technology that, that is baked into the database. And being able to have more help from good systems engineers who really care about um, figuring out the future of databases uh, would be really fantastic. Uh, and outside of that, any technical contributions that people make is al are always appreciated. Um, people speak with their um, their words, but code matters more when you can build things that are helpful for the project. Um, it just moves the state of the art forward. And if you want to just support us financially, uh, we would appreciate any anything that you guys can offer. So on your site, you've got slash contribute, so rethinkdb.com slash contribute. You've got some some of the things you just mentioned there in the Become a Contributor and even a form you can fill out. I'm not really sure what this form is. I guess it's just to say, hello, hey, this is me. I want to be involved somehow. Then you've also got the option to donate. And you mentioned that uh, Stripe, where you work at currently, which acquired many of the engineers, has generously agreed to donate or I guess match $25,000 in donations. Uh, when I read that, I was thinking, super awesome, number one. And then number two was, how close are we? So how close are we? So we've received a little bit north of $5,000 so far in donations, just based upon what the community has um, uh, offered when we first announced the transition to the Linux Foundation. So there's still some ways to go, um, but we also um, are generally in pretty good shape because a lot of people have offered um, open source projects, all sorts of technical uh, help um, services that have stepped forward include DN Simple, uh, which is a DNS routing service. Um, and uh, a number of other folks like Discourse um, has generously offered to to host our, our Discourse forums for Horizon, which is a related JavaScript project that also has moved to the Linux Foundation along with RethinkDB. And uh, we've received a lot of offers from from other other companies, which has been just super great. It's been really wonderful to see yeah. how the community has stepped up to try to offer help in any way that they can. 
definitely want to shout out the DN Simple because we use them as well, and knowing that they support mm-hmm. this is is super cool because we love them. Um, kind of curious about the future of donations. Is this just the start? What can people expect? A lot of people tend to either use uh, Open Collective or, as you mentioned, Patreon. There's other obvious models. Is there a way that the Linux Foundation slash CNCF requires you to go about donating? What's the future of how you'll be able to sustain financially at least? There are no requirements. Uh, We've had some companies who use RethinkDB offer to uh, either donate a percentage of uh, profits that they make using Rethink or provide some sort of recurring subscription. And the only thing that's really stopped us from doing that so far is just wanting to get our bearings as an open source project first. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. we're excited to explore lots of options, but we also want to um, move steadily and carefully and be able to uh, offer a way for people to provide financial support where we know exactly that it's going to be going to a development fund or hosting services and figure out what that looks like. Um, but we're excited to explore a lot of different options. Great. Now, you mentioned earlier too the technical steering committee um that's how far out like what are the plans in terms of that side of sustainability i guess community driven part of it where are we at with that we're, we're doing well um, we have a number of folks who um, have been thinking about how to structure it but our goal and priority right now is on shipping 2.4 because we want to get that out the door to get a lot of the technical changes that were already underway and agreed on um, and then we're going to start drafting the group that will um, pilot and shepherd the future for everything DB. Very cool. So two, four, roughly when? Just curious. Um, I'm, I don't want to commit to any dates right now because this is happening <laughs> a lot of people's personal time. And it's so sort it's of a like, tongue-in-cheek question, a honestly. Like, sure, yeah. A few days later. That's <laughs> like, what, I'll be speaking that's for what. people who are donating their time and like, I don't want to do that. Gotcha. So. I mean, are you yeah. are you planning like six months from now this year? That's what I'm kind of asking. Not so much like a date, but roughly yeah, it when? Should be, it should be this year. Okay. Cool. So that kind of paints a picture. So get two, four out sometime this year. And at that time, maybe early next year, start to look at the steering committee forming that. So governance getting in place. So that's, that's such a good pace for those listening and, and, you know, purveying what's happening here with, uh, with rethink TV. So very cool. Absolutely. What's uh what's some call to arms? I guess you kind of mentioned some, we didn't really have to ask you directly that question, but ask you directly. What's C++ what's some developers get up there. Say what? Oh yeah. C++ developers. Um, I'm yeah. just saying that that's the big one. If you're a listener, if you're out there and you're a database or a systems person, you got C or C++ skills, it sounds like that's the best way yeah. to, uh, to help out. But I'll let Mike expand and, and contract on that. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about open source is that, um, I mean, open source always finds a way, like life finds a way. And uh, one of the reasons... Jurassic Park case, line, nice one. There you go. <laughs> One of the reasons is that um, <laughs> open source uh, op- open source provides a, a a space where people can explore the source code of a project and understand not just what it is, but how it was built, and really learn from the state of art and software development. And so, the 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 code base that's there. I mean, it's so much work that can be learned from. Um, so much uh, deep system software, um, things like the um, coroutine engine that we built before coroutine engines were features in uh, modern programming languages, um, or the uh, the serializer and the storage engine that was designed for multi-core CPUs and for solid-state drives. This stuff is all like really interesting, really super cool. And if people are like really good systems engineers or are students and want to understand like how these things are built. Um, there's a lot to learn from um, in the code standards that we used, in the uh, the solutions that we provided. And uh, 
open source allows people to examine it and look at it from every single angle and to think about how uh, they can uh, improve it, how they can see like some change they can provide or add. And uh, even just taking one issue on the project and just examining it, learning why is this an issue? Not even thinking about maybe how to solve it, but just learning about how the issue um, is produced, um, how the system operates is just an incredible learning exercise. It really allows you to further your skills as an engineer and really learn um, how you can make a small change that can have drastic improvements for hundreds of thousands of people. And so if you are somebody who is a systems engineer or you even just love a particular programming language and want to think about how to bring that functional programming experience from the database level into a language that you really care about, what should rethink to be look like for the future of Node.js? Um, what should it look like for for Go or for Haskell? Um, your your help is just deeply appreciated and an opportunity to really grow as an engineer and to help a project that really helps a lot of people. And so if, the, if someone out there is hearing this call to arms from you, the best place to go would be slash contributor. Or what would the best place to go to say, hey, I'm one of these people. How can I step in? Or do they just jump into issues and start planting their ideas? I would go to rethinktb.com slash contribute to figure out how you can become a contributor. Also, just dive into an issue. Um, GitHub is super open. So go into an issue and say, hey, I want to take a look at this. Ask for help when you need it. If you need help getting your build environment set up, there's lots of documentation on how to do that. But we're also very friendly on Slack. So if you want to just come and say, hey, I want to tackle this issue. Can someone help me get my build environment set up? We're more than happy to, to help because we recognize that um, th that the more people involved, um, the better we'll have an open source feature for the project going forward. Well, we're seven, maybe eight-ish years down the road since the beginning, I guess, right? Since you've been here since the beginning. Uh, a lot of people to think, I'm sure, along the way, but maybe specifically to like this last year. Is there anybody or any particular groups you want to give a shout out to that's like, hey, without your help, we wouldn't be where we're at today. I'm kind of putting you on the spot with that, I'm I'm sure, but anybody you want to give a shout out to? Yes. I mean, I I really want to thank uh, the Linux Foundation and the Cloud Native Computing Foundation in particular for really stepping up and taking action. Uh, we are deeply appreciative. They removed a whole, whole lot of work from our plates and really enabled an open source feature for the project, uh, namely Brian Cantrell and Dan Cohn. These these two guys really did what was necessary to be able to make uh, everything to be uh, feature secure. Um, and in terms of the Open Rethink to be leadership team, to just name a few people, uh, I mentioned them earlier, but Marshall Cottrell, Christina Keelan, Etienne Loren, Chris Abrams, Ross Kukulinski, Ryan Paul, Sam Hughes, Yavrun Habrakin, and core members of the Rethink to be team that have stepped in to, to pitch uh, their help in. And uh, aside from that, I'm really appreciative to Stripe because they really care about Rethink to be's open source future. Um, the, this, the fact that there are a few developer tools companies out there, um, we really regard each other with great respect. Um, it's really funny because Stripe and RethinkDB both were in the same Y Combinator class back in 2009. And so we've known each other and watched each other grow up for a while. And they've really enabled um, every bit of support that they could offer, including actual um, donations, um, to be able to help RethinkDB have a, have a stable future. And um, all of the folks in the open RethinkDB channel, of which there are hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of people who would not let this go even when it was hard and have done nothing but support us and really celebrate all the work that people put into it for years. Um, it's the community that makes this really possible. Um, that's the only reason that RethinkDB is alive today. 
is because the community cares. And that gives me great confidence in its future because I know that um, no single person has um, a role in its destiny, but everyone together is building a future for it that is bright, very bright and really quite quite moving. So I, I, I really extend just my like heartfelt thanks to everybody who just has um, donated a dollar or even um, just said, I care about this and I want this to survive. So oh, thank you. That's awesome. We, I know from our perspective, we've kind of felt like we've been on this journey with you. As we mentioned, we had uh, Slava on a couple of times to kind of talk about the history of Rethink over its years. And it just made sense to have you back on to kind of cover this transition from uh, company to open source community led uh, project and the, its future. So I kind of feel like we've been on this journey with you to some degree, maybe not <laughs> all the years, but at least some of the years. And I can definitely echo that. Thanks too, because without a thriving uh, community behind something like this and that kind of passion, you just don't have much, right? It's, it's about the people, the code and the, the product that comes from it is obviously, you know, the point, but it's the people that really make everything happen. So that's awesome. Um, Mike, thanks so much, man. It was, it was a pleasure to have you on the show finally and uh, to hear your side of the story and to share the future of Rethink DB. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you for tuning into the Change Log this week. If you enjoyed the show, we ask for just one favor go rate it, go share it with a friend, tell everyone you know about it. I, I guess it's more than one thing, but you get the picture. Thanks to our sponsors, Circle CI, Bugsnag, and Linode. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to fastly.com to learn more. We host everything we do on Linode cloud servers. Head to linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. The Changelog is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and Jared Santo. It's edited by Jonathan Youngblood. And the awesome music you've been hearing is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find more episodes just like this at changelog.com or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Thanks for listening.